Episode 238 of the No Persinium Podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from the No Pro Studio, a.k.a. the kitchen table here in Los Angeles. This week on the show, we visit the Alamo Draft House in downtown Los Angeles and meet up with Ash Minnick, who handles their uh, events programming in the bar area at Video Vortex, where um, some immersive shenanigans get happening every so often uh for those of you who don't know the alamo draft house is part of a uh, a, a a modest chain of uh, movie theater establishments got it started in austin uh some number of years ago a couple of decades i think at this point i am old um and sort of uh if you've ever been to a movie theater where they serve you food uh during the movie and uh, sort of the, the whole thing set up uh, to like just be a little bit more than a movie theater, movie theater. Um, the draft house is the template and the draft house does it right. Um, it, we get into a little bit of that about the philosophy behind the Alamo draft house, but we get really into uh, what is going on over at the Alamo draft house because there've been some, um, there've already been some like ARG things going on like related to the movies and this weekend they're having a tea party for emma and they're bringing in improv actors to create like an immersive jane austen pop-up during a tea party um and this is just you know another week at the draft house this is how things are there's also a regular karaoke night there uh which you know you you might find me at on occasion uh (laughs) It's it's become uh, a kind of our neighborhood movie bar, uh, even for those of us who don't live in downtown L.A. Um, and it's it's great that it's there. And it's really fun checking in with Ash because uh, she's uh, got a, a, a gaming background and just brings a lot of energy and ingenuity into what's going on down there at the draft house all right we'll get into the interview in a moment uh let's check in on a couple of things first uh let me give a shout out to our sustaining backers who make this possible indeed these are the people who help keep a roof over my head everyone on the patreon does uh but these are the folks who pay uh, a fair amount of my rent every month and that would be our sustaining backers mark baltazar jan budman paul f lonnie hansen ari hurston sam kinkin sydney Gillery, jeremy charles hahn and Brittany. Um, yeah. And when I, when I add it all up, you know, that's, that's, that's a good chunk of my rent right there. Um, so thank you all for keeping a roof over my head. Indeed. Thank all of our backers, all 311 of you right now, uh, bring us to 1869. David J. Foster is our latest backer here in no pro land. And, um, you know, it's the uh, last two days of the month. So there's never a better time to jump on the Patreon bandwagon than right now and uh and make my landlord oh so happy oh so very very happy if they put another addition on to whatever house they own <sighs> change is coming anyway um a <laughs> couple other things to talk about. i lag and laugh about it because there is literally nothing else legal that you can do um you can really laugh everything else is not allowed 
Um, let's uh, let's check in on the Here's Summit and Festival, which is coming up. Oh, look, a month away from now. Four weeks. Four weeks away. Wow. Um, uh, um, it's it's almost here. It's almost upon us. Uh, I'm I'm a little like, oh God. Um, when you listen to this, there's a good chance that I will be at the Pasadena Playhouse checking things out uh, for like the fifth time, going through with the team, um, getting our list together, finalizing some budget stuff, and uh, and and pushing forward. We have about 25, maybe fewer by the time you listen to this, probably probably fewer by the time you listen to this, 25 three-day badges left. Um, we have like a hundred plus people who have signed up so that they're interested in buying that badge. Uh, so that's a four, four to one chance. Uh, if you are one of those people who have signed up to buy a badge, um, you know, a month out is a good time to make the decision. Now I know that we're in the middle of a, um, you know, close to a mass panic about uh, about the novel coronavirus. Let's not deny anything there. And we are uh, making some plans as contingencies um, if things happen. One of the things I get to talk to people about today is like, so if the force mature uh, clause kicks in here. Um, but, you know, I know that um, like GDC has had a bunch of big companies pulled out. Um, we're a lot smaller. GDC has got like... 30, 40, 50,000 people at it. We're, we're talking about 700 maximum on Saturday at its peak. So much different scale um, of, of an event by far. So uh, unless everything gets shut down, like on a government level, we're not going to shut this thing down. So if that sounds good to you, come join us in Pasadena next month. 25 three-day badges left, and this weekend we'll put on a small number of Saturday-only tickets. So those tickets are um, they're they're going to be a lot less than the three-day badges because they're for just one day. They get you in the keynotes. They they don't necessarily get anything else. Um, um, it depends on how many we wind up selling at the end of the day. Um, it is uh, we'll probably put on like 25 of those tickets. I'll put those on sale. There'll be no pre-registration for that. Anyone can buy them. Just you'll just go on Eventbrite and, and, and pick them up and that'll be how that works. Uh, but again, that'll be Saturday only tickets. Uh, we'll go on sale this weekend and we've still got three day badges left. And if you're interested in checking out the pilot festival, which lets gets you a ticket to one of the, the chunkier shows and gets you a ticket into some of the, the small work that's going on in the dressing rooms, at the Pasadena Playhouse while we're there. Um, the only way to get that stuff is to buy the three-day badge. And the three days are really awesome. Uh, the programming grid is uh, in existence now. Um, we release that to all of the uh, people on the Here newsletter. Uh, and you know what? I'll, uh, I'll put it in the show notes so you can you can see how it's going. There, there's probably going to be a few changes. I uh, literally had to flop something today because someone's like, oh, this thing got moved. And then someone's like, oh, no, I'm coming out of town. And it's like, guess what? I go switch you too because that makes it easy. Um, and there may be a few other tweaks as we go. But uh, pretty much, you know, like I said, barring disasters. Um, and, you know, we live in a time of disasters. So that's the update on here. Uh, all cards on the table. Um that's what's going on. So on that note, let us get into this week's interview. Here we go.
Okay, like I said, always is a conversation. So, Ash, um, we're behind the scenes here at the Alamo Draft House right now. And mm-hmm. before we get into sort of everything the Draft House is doing around like immersive interactive stuff, which is very exciting, very cool. Um, I wonder if you could tell us about what's coming up because we're recording this on a Monday and we're going to air this this Friday. So this weekend you've got... Oh, yeah. So this weekend on Sunday, we have um, our Emma Immersive Experience, which is an afternoon tea experience that uh, coincides with the new Emma that's coming. It's it's come out now at this point. Um, and yeah, it's, it's an afternoon tea where after the film, you can come downstairs and you'll be escorted down by folks in Regency attire to come join them for a garden party and have some tea and treats. And it's going to be... So there's there's some actors involved. Mm-hmm. There's there's I heard you explaining it to someone else. Like there's a story going on here. What? How elaborate is this thing? Um. Well, it. <laughs> you know, um, with all immersive events, it will be as elaborate as the patrons want it to be, if that makes sense. But we are we're going to have live Regency music. There will be dancing, and we will have um, immersive performers that we are um, utilizing. There's a group called Impro Studio, and Impro Studio does unscripted long-form dramatic shows. So they do Jane Austen Unscripted, which is a two-hour Jane Austen performance with an intermission that is entirely improvised. They also do um, Jane Austen Improvised, which is an hour long. Um, And so they will be um, altering their format slightly to create an actual Jane Austen story for the, the patrons that are coming to the tea afternoon. And they're able to as a patron, you're able to get involved in that story and take part in it and kind of decide where it goes. Um, or if you just want to sit and enjoy our wonderful tea by St. Bastian's, you can also just do that. How did you how did you get involved with doing this kind of stuff here at the Draft House? Like, like, like I guess part, there's also kind of an ancillary question of like, like, why is the Draft House doing things like this like someone can look on the outside and like oh it's a movie theater what is going on why is this yeah and you guys are particularly i mean you're known at this point and mm-hmm. by known i mean like there's a reputation nationally for being the place where the the rowdy screenings of cats started yeah. right yeah so <laughs> so kind of like in that are, are we in are we in a moment right now because of that and like like God, I I don't even know how to get into this conversation because like, I yeah. So oh, well, okay. Yeah. So um, Tim League, who started Alamo, so for him it hasn't been a new thing. It's been since '97, uh, I believe, when when the first draft house opened. For him, it has always been important to create an amazing cinema experience, and that starts with you know like uh, no talking, no texting, no coming late, that thing. But it also goes to creating it as an experience, not just going to see a movie, but there's an experience. And so like, if you think of our film festival, Fantastic Fest, that's the type of film festival that it's, it's just, it's an experience from beginning to end. And so everything we do is about making sure that coming out to the movies is worth the trip. Um, and so also our team here, our creative team, uh, we, all of us come from a background of uh, you know, events and immersive and, and gaming as well as cinema. Film is very important to us, but also living it and experiencing it is very important. Um, I come from a very heavy gaming background and interactive background. And so with our events, that's that's what we want to bring. It's, it's not just going to see a movie and then getting a drink in the bar. It's, 
you know, going to see a movie and then experiencing an aspect of that film in a way that you couldn't do at home. <laughs> Don't wait a minute. Um, how did you? So no, yeah, let's let's dial in on you for a second. So okay. how did how did you, Ash, wind up in this role that you have here? Because you said you come from from gaming mm-hmm. and and yeah, what's what's the journey to, to um, have this, this job you have, which is a pretty it, rad it, it job. was it was kind of like Alamo and I were going on two separate journeys that just sort of um, crossed paths. Cross, crossed paths at the right time, I guess, in that, um, so one of our companies, Mondo, um, started doing board games uh, a couple years ago. So that we actually now design and publish board games as well, um, which is very exciting. And I, as a person, started in film and television and then moved into live events and then moved specifically into what I refer to as just nerd events. You know, I was the production supervisor for Indiecade for a long time. I produced an event called D&D in a Castle where people play Dungeons and Dragons in England. I um, worked for Geek and Sundry for a while producing content. I just like nerdy things. I worked all the cons like, you know, Comic-Con and E3 and all of those. Um, And so I'm a massive fan of uh, nerdy events. And so I was at the time producing content for Geek and Sundry and we had a meeting with Mondo about some of their new games and what we could do with them. And I sort of got to know them and was just like, oh my gosh, I love this company and I love everything they're doing and I love their philosophy. And then um, a couple weeks later, um, a colleague of mine that I had worked with before, Rachel Walker, was brought on as the head of programming here. And she called me and she was like, we're looking for someone who really likes gaming and also can produce events and likes film. And she's like, and I can't think of anyone that is that except you, because it's basically just you. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> that was just sort of it. Um, I was looking for something that was, mm, it is hard in the entertainment industry to find a job that is consistent, but still creative and challenges you and gives you the ability to do so many different types of projects and feel agency over those projects without just constantly doing gigs. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And so this for me was an amazing opportunity to work with a corporation and still feel agency and still be involved in the creation of, of the final product, which is the events. And so it, it was awesome. Over over your career now, because now now I've got some orientation points here. So over your career of working with Indiecade, and working on events at the cons, and working with Geek and Sundry, uh, until now, how and and this moment we're in, where, you know, I mean, I think you and I both know, like, there's always been weird pop ups, and you know, things where suddenly, oh, we're doing a LARP without realizing we're doing a LARP, and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Where do you sort of feel like we are in the cultural moment around? these kinds of you know bringing movies to life mm-hmm. getting the audience up and an active and and creating hooks for participation because yeah. there is this motion now I mean, we we know over here at no pro there's there's a very large fan there's well there's a very dedicated fan base for immersive stuff that people can really sink their teeth into and go in on in depth i also know a lot of producers are trying to start to broaden it out and get their work out to people who aren't necessarily familiar with it. Mm-hmm. You're operating these events in a space that 
a lot of people are coming to you and they're like, oh, I'm here to see a movie and oh, I can get a drink and hang out at the bar for a while. And then what the hell is this? Why are these people, why is that woman chasing a laser pointer and singing cats? Right. <laughs> you know, like, why uh, not? <laughs> I mean, we know, we know why, but like the, the average patron doesn't know why. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit to like what you're seeing about this moment that we're in. Like, is this something where you're seeing like, you know, more people getting interested or, or is this just something that's always sort of consistently been there from your point of view? Huh? No, I think there's definitely um, way more interest in the in the immer- in immersive events. I think immersive is such a great word too because it's so flexible. You know, an immersive event can mean so many different things, and so it allows you to go very, very deep and sort of. I hate to say it, but trick people into LARPing um, (laughs) because there's such a negative connotation with LARPing with some people. And I think everyone, it's just playing pretend, really. I think everybody would love LARPing if they just didn't realize they were doing it. I Um, call it make believe with rules is what I, and, and, and the longer we've gone, the more I don't like rules. So like the more it's just make believe, the happier I am. Right. (laughs) I'm totally the opposite. I love rules because I, I love to know the boundaries of the world and how I can push them. Um, but I do I do also feel very, very lucky to be living in Los Angeles right now because I feel like this is almost like a lab, you know, where we have so much immersive going on and it's it's everywhere and so easy to find as opposed to some other cities around the country may not have it as extensively. Um, and so when I say immersive is booming, I do also recognize that it's like, well, maybe more here than other places. Um, and yet, and yet because like the, you know, LA is a lab, but also the draft house itself, you've kind of turned into, you know, specifically a lab and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I mean, I mean something like a rowdy screening, like that's a, that's a long held film tradition, particularly it's a long held, I feel like film, uh, you know, movie theater, uh, trying to think of the word employee because I was one so I was like yeah it's a long-held movie theater employee tradition to like have the roundy screening after hours where you're everyone's yelling you know it harkens back to Rocky Horror Picture Show yeah. it's like the 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 er version of it and yet you know this idea of like you know the cats rowdy started here and then like it popped up in New York mm-hmm. it, it feels almost like because Alamo is a chain there are things that could be piloted here that then get exported elsewhere yeah and we we do that a lot actually especially in austin austin's a big lab for us to try things out and and again it goes it goes back to me loving that sort of agency where uh you know we're able to try new things out and see if they work and then if they do we you know ship them out nationally as it is um and it's it's so great because it it allows us to constantly be um adapting and modifying and find out what what our audience really wants um and so yeah that's really fun and i i guess yeah there's a big thing where what would have been considered nerd culture i guess is more acceptable or just pulling people out of their comfort zone i think is a bit more acceptable do you know what i mean yeah yeah i feel i I, like in i mean i think there's like weirdly enough because of the the default, you know, social awkwardness, air quotes here Mm -hmm. going on, um, associated with being a nerd, like so much of nerd culture is about 
well, how do we create an interface for social interaction, right? You know, like we get that, that idea of like the rules, like what, yeah. what is the social script here that we can all look at together so we know where we fit into the scheme and then start to kind of like push around that because, you know, there's a little bit more of an approach of logic. There's a little bit more of an approach of, of, um, just kind of wanting to know where you stand yeah. in the world, you know, and the world just, the world, you know, comes with like no label whatsoever, right? Like what exactly is that? And so then you start to find these other people that, you know, have that same sort of, you know, almost scientific approach to like being social. This is way oversimplifying it, but, but <laughs> wanting to have that sort of approach and knowing where the border is. And as that happens, it weirdly becomes this like way easier to let like, go of your inhibitions, right? Yeah. So like you see, you see like fan culture, like the embracing of cosplay, and just like really, and so like it just becomes not only like oh like let's dress up, but like let's get a mechanical tail on that person, you know? Like how <laughs> far can we go, right? Yeah. And like really, and and being very very, like, you know, hyper super hyper uh, extroverted with like the, the the presentation of this but I and I always think of that as like being rooted as like a theater person as like you know it's like you know looking at someone who is an amazing actor and is like their characters are huge but then you know that off stage sometimes that person is very you know yeah like they're like the little they're the little ro they're the little alien inside the robot you know like they drive these big giant things I, I always think about the times I would see Robin Williams in San Francisco mm -hmm. just like in and around San Francisco and like he he held his energy very close or you can even watch it I think there's an early stand-up special of his where it's like it's Robin Williams stand-up mode this had to have been like an early 80s maybe in late 70s and then he walks off stage and the camera follows him and you almost watch him shrink in real time as just like whoop, it all just sort of falls away yeah you know and it's like this he's turned it off and he turned it off and there's this little there's a little quiet person you know inside this very very big thing and that's always been my experience of being a nerd and being a performer and being all these things it's like there's this super articulated like very big you know quote unquote Noah but like the real one is like yeah tiny um and it's, it's hard to do that it's yeah. hard to get that big in front of strangers but when you have something like an immersive event yeah. it's like an icebreaker and it's it's almost like we're doing the work for them to yeah. go big so they're given permission to yeah. come in and be like oh okay i mean and the way larp is advanced like larp has the has the term alibi right mm -hmm. so it's like you know there's an you give them an alibi for behavior and like that is so clear in something like a rowdy screening like you give them the alibi of like you're one of the you're one of the Jealous? How do you Jellical. say? Jellical. Jellical. You're one of the Jellical cats, and like Jellical cats and Pollicle dogs. Pollicle dogs? Is that what it is? You can tell. Like I have not been the writer. Well, no, that I that's not from the film. It's oh, okay. from the original poem that oh. that Cats the musical was based on. Oh yeah, yeah. That weirdly enough, I actually I've read that 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 poem. I read the I read the Elliot. Yeah. When you um, read it, did you think you know what needs to be done? We need to make a musical. Well, no, because I've never, I've never, poem. I've never done cocaine, so I didn't have that. Thought. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> and I definitely didn't do cocaine in the seventies, so I really didn't have that thought. Um, I, I mostly just thought, like, oh, cool, maybe I'll read the screw tape letters next. Um, uh, <laughs> which I did. I was like, I came here for Narnia, and I wound up here. What happened? Um, 
yeah, even though like C.S. Lewis and T.S. Eliot are different people, it's because of the initials that like I was just like British guys with initials of the early 20th century. Next yeah. thing you know, I'm reading stuff. All the all the initial people, yeah. J.D. Salinger, J.K. Rowling, they're all the same. They're, they're all the same. same. They're all the same. George R.R. R. Martin. Exactly. His, are in the, his are in the middle. Though, um, so. Yeah, the, the extra letter throws it all off. Yeah. You know, that's that's where all the that's where all the sex comes into it. Um, yeah, I, yeah. No, congratulations, podcast crew. I literally just conflated C.S. Lewis and T.S. Eliot. Hello, but also I've read a bunch of stuff, so whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I never thought about that. But back to the point, like he gives it gives folks an alibi. It gives mm-hmm. them gives them the ability to like stretch out their identity for a little while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's you know. I feel like giving people an activity right away is, like I said, it gives you permission to be um, more outgoing and bigger than than you would have been before. You know, more able to interact with strangers and be like, we're all here doing this together sort of thing. Yeah. Well, and, and, and that, like an, a medium for connection, right? You know, because it's, it's like thinking about like any like classroom project or like a game or like a, any like group of people who don't know each other. That idea of like, well, how do you break the ice amongst everybody? Like, how do you get them playing together? Um, so so when you're so if you're thinking about these terms, like when you're putting together one of these events, are you thinking about, all right, what can we do to sort of like get people playing with each other? Yeah, for sure. And it, it the so the first thing we think about a lot of these events are activations, so they're connected to a film specifically because we are a movie theater. Um and you know, there's so many great movies that we do and so many great specialty screenings. So the first thing is how do we activate this film? Like we we go to see the films um in advance. We go to the trade screenings, and for me, it's what I think about is as I'm exiting the theater what do I feel inspired to do? Like what, what could further this for me? And so that's where I go firstly is, is what about the film stands out as something that I, I would want to physically experience? Um, and so that's my first go-to. And then the second part of that is, you know, how do we engage the patrons to make them comfortable doing it? You know, and, and we do that in a lot of different ways for a lot of different films. Um, for Uncut Gems, for instance, we had uh, Furby bed- Bedazzling, which was so fun. And Watching Rachel's process pictures <laughs> on her Instagram was hilarious. It's like, I just bought all these Furbies. Like, what is, go- I knew it was going on, but I was like, oh my God, they're going there. They're going there. Yeah. And it was, it, 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 everyone loved it, but the, the reactions were so different from, you know, any of the other events because it was specific to like just everyone would just got so into it and, and we had 60 people in the bar just very meticulously placing gems on these furbies with their little jewel lights and their tweezers and and so it wasn't it was the opposite of like our jellicle ball karaoke contest where everyone was raucous and everybody was singing like broadway songs together you know and it was it was a very energetic event and with the Furbies, it was, they were just as into it, but very quietly. <laughs> it's like monastic, like, you know, I've got to get this gem on this properly. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's one of those things where I also like to create events that you can just hang out at and enjoy if you don't want to go that deep or there is another level to it where you can also like just, you know, dive in. For Downton Abbey, for instance, we did a sort of a 1920s, 
um, almost like a 1920s kind of like party in the bar. So we were playing 1920s music and it was decorated a specific way. And we had a, um, you know, a photo booth set up that was actually a backdrop from one of the rooms in uh, Downton Abbey. And we also had immersive actors. So you could just come dressed up and enjoy the music and take your photo. Or you could interact with these actors and get missions and find this sort of deeper chain of, of, of activities. And that sort of stuff I love because I like you to get out of it what you put into it. Yeah. How, how deep does one of those rabbit holes go? Because I mean, there are some folks for whom that's... That's the that's the whole point of of immersive for them. So yeah. like if someone someone hooks into you know one of these little you know quest line things you know one of these events, like how how long would it take to like complete an arc as it were? It's entirely different based on each event. Mm. For instance, for when we opened our big bash, we had um, a series of riddles that took you all around the theater, and the point of that was was just to show people the entire theater and, and learn about us. And so you were solving these riddles, and then learning about you know our board game section, and learning about our our classic posters, and learning. And so that was just the point of it was a tour, and then you got prizes along the way, and that took folks about forty five minutes or so to an hour to complete the quest chain. With Downton Abbey, it was entirely social. So the depth of that was just getting more and more into character. And so it sort of led you down a, a LARPing path where you could build a relationship with these people. You could learn about their lives. You could help change their relationships. But then something like um, The Green Knight, which we have coming up. What are you doing for that gorgeous looking movie? All right. I mean, don't spoil it hard because like this suddenly suddenly the rare thing has happened something that I'm like completely juiced about and don't want to spoil but okay be I, lightly. I, I honestly also don't know how much I can talk about right now Good. but that quest chain is going to be uh, extensively uh, deep mm -hmm. and have aspects that you know maybe one or two people will actually get to but it's <laughs> <laughs> Ash is looking at me like, oh, I think Noah's gonna be one of them. He seems fully like Arthurian shit is my jam, and like yeah. the more obscure it is, the the happier I am. And I saw that trailer, and I was like, literally, like all year long, I'm like, oh, I don't know if there's a movie I'm looking forward to this year. Like, I'll go see <laughs> stuff. Like, yeah, I'll see that. I said, but like looking forward to, it. and then that trailer dropped, and I was like, oh god, yeah, I didn't have no one told me. So yeah, yeah, um. So that is going to be one that, uh, you know, I'm working with another game designer on it and creating a, a quest, an actual like quest chain mm. that is a thing where, you know, I, um, I do this event every year with uh, Wizards of the Coast called D&D uh, &D Live. Yeah. Um, I've, and what, this past year, I was helping with the market coordination, worked with a company that created that um, chain. Uh, there was a game, basically. It, was, it wasn't just a vendor market. There was a game within the vendor market. And there were some folks that were like, oh, this is fun, whatever. And there were some folks that, you know, took every single piece of that, every single piece of paper we had created, at least one copy of it, and, like, went home and translated all of it, all of it and found all of these secret things and spent, like, days after the event being like, oh, there's this, and putting it on the Internet. And I love those people, you know. Um, and so my goal for the green night is, is to have it something like that, where you can just go and have fun, but then there's also going to be, uh, aspects to it that you 
someone would have to go very deep to actually translate. Nice. If that makes sense. I'm trying to like speak in yeah. vague terms so as not to spoil. Yeah, no, abs- absolutely. Well, and I mean, when you get a, when you get a world that's rich enough, mm-hmm. right. And, and the world of Emma is incredible. Like an Austin world is, is this level of rich, right. You know, or if, or if there was like a, a, Cause, a cause it's real. Yeah. Or like if you had like, if there was a movie, you know, like Wuthering Heights, like had it like a revival mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like that, like the Brontes, you know, like it's, it's possible to go. Well, and, and I guess one of the, questions here I'll, I'll, I'll let you go soon but um you know how do you get which of these do you do you get to do is it because the the studio says like we'd love to have something for this as an activation do mm-hmm. you have agency yeah like where's who's got agency here is this like a is this like a team-up situation because like i'll see you know there'll be there'll be activations at, at spots you know yeah. um and sometimes it's very clear that like the studio has come down like you know dropped a shipping container off in the middle of city walk where they were invisible <laughs> yeah literally dropped a, a i mean not dropped very carefully placed that's a whole thing um and and hired in folks to do like a really incredible piece uh, or you know there'll be something like they did like a whole they did a downton abbey thing over at the arc light there was like a right. whole building yeah. there and that was clearly the studio was, was driving that yes um so what is that relationship like how how does that happen um we, I mean, we love the studios. We work with them a lot. A lot of times it's us letting them know what we'd like to do and them being like, that's amazing. Um, which is my impression of all studio people. <laughs> we we also, from top to bottom, like from corporate to local, we have a lot of super creative, awesome people that build out activations. A lot of our activations are national activations, so they're decided at corporate. Uh, we have a lot of events um, that you know we that are larger events that we do that come from studios coming to us and being like we would like to do a thing and then we go yes of course um and we also even have private events you know from the studios for for red carpets and screenings and things of that nature or we uh, try to go a step above and make them a little bit special um but on a you know day by day basis a lot of our our programming is kind of decided in house and then like cats rowdy was entirely in house and was like uh, it was a local push from some very uh, intelligent and wonderful women. And the studio sort of caught on and was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, <laughs> they've been very, very great about sending us uh, swag, which is, in my opinion, the best thing a studio can do. And so even to this day with our Cats Rowdy, we have a lot of amazing cat swag that you can't buy. You have to come you know, here or wherever they sent it to, to get it. Um, so yeah, it's it's you know a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B sort of thing where we try to always get the studios involved because um, it is you know their their babies and we love working with them to try to push it in the same direction that they want it to go. Um, but sometimes we just like a movie so much we have to do things. Yeah, you know <laughs> so that's that's you know uh, a little bit of both. Yeah, well, and and, and specifically around Cats Rowdy, it's been it's been fun to watch that like grow into something that's gotten you know national press coverage mm-hmm. you know like people people talking about it and people in ha- this moment of people kind of kind of kind of coming around i think to that the question at the heart of you know tim league's vision which is what does it mean to go out to the movies anymore yeah. when when everything's just you know when, when go out to the movies can be as much as like I got on the Apple TV and like, okay, where can I see Spectre? You know, like which, which is it going to cost me money or do I have to like, 
you know, wait for FX to run it for like the DVR thing to kick in, which I think is what's going to happen because yeah. I missed it in the theaters. Um, only because, and and the only reason why I'm, I care is because I missed it, and the new one's coming out, and the new one has a good song, and I'm like, okay, I guess I'll prepare to watch. <laughs> um, that's so true though because yeah. there's there's a now a, a bar right where yeah. you know you say well is it worth seeing in the theaters is such yeah. a, a common phrase with certain like films people are like well i'm just gonna wait until it's on yeah. netflix or hulu or amazon or whatever and we try to make it worth seeing in the theaters just because you know you get to do something you wouldn't be able to do otherwise i mean for me the draft having the draft house here and like it was long it took a long time to get the draft house here but like for me, having it here means one having you know another theater that I really like going to, and mm-hmm. it's something that's very different from you know the, in the vast majority of, of movie theaters. Uh, and and now that there's like the there's the, what this announced last week, there's the uh, the season pass or the monthly pass mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. What is it called? Um, I, it's the season pass. Season pass, yeah. Yeah. So that idea of like knowing that, oh, I can go check out. Cause the nice thing about the draft house is, is not only are the big movies, but like some of the smaller, you know, mm-hmm. indie, indie films and having an indie film house or an indie film focus place to like, just be able to come back through and like, oh yeah, I can go catch a film. Like it gets back to that vibe of like, if you either love the video store days or worked in movie theater and just like, well, what's playing right now? I'll go, I'll go see that. Yeah. Give it a chance. We also, right? we also do have a lot of stuff you can't actually see at home. Yeah. Um, our, our programming director, Rachel, as well as having Agfa as one of our um, other companies that we have where they, they do an amazing job at finding sort of little, little known pe- uh, films and either restoring them or, or uh, getting the rights to them. And so we can show things that you can't normally show like with our knives out series there was one film where the only version of it was um i forget it was from like a a, like a a blu-ray copy from a nordic country that (laughs) rachel like found on on amazon or etsy or something and she shipped it here and we had like worked etsy would be weird because it made like someone like it was handmade (laughs) (laughs) well no on etsy you you can get you can get things that people just own they 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 now use it a little bit bit like ebay eBay. okay you know i didn't um where you buy like i had this vision of someone like chiseling out a (laughs) blu-ray you know (laughs) (laughs) i mined this silicone but she she found it online. It was a personal person's copy, in you know, and it was like I forget the country it was, but it wasn't an American or English version of so the film. So had to get the DVD. Yeah, that would play it. Yeah, find and, the region four. Region and even four even Ryan Johnson, who programmed the series with Rachel, was like, "How did you find this?" <laughs> and we we brought it here. And we, you know, we had our projectionist test it to make sure we could actually play it. And so it's a thing that you you can't see in theaters and other places. And so we do that a lot as well, which is just really cool. Yeah. I think. No, there's something there's something rad about this place. And like I knew. I knew because like the first or second time I was here and I was over in the bar and like I think it was a coincidentally on one of your karaoke nights and I was like okay I'll stick around and then just people I knew specifically from the immersive LA immersive community just kept on showing up all night and I was like what are you doing here oh we <laughs> just saw this I think it was literally I think it was a night it was on the night that I saw Knives Out and I was here with a couple of people and then other people were we're here to see Parasite mm-hmm. and it was just like what what's going on and like and we also like wind up hanging out and then other people coming through yeah. on the way to it in any any time anytime I'm here to see a movie or hang out it's always like ships passing in the night like there's a there's a friend coming along and yeah. it's just like okay cool is it when, yeah. when Bradley Whitford was on the James Corden show talking about going to see Cats Rowdy and he was saying the night he was there Reggie from the band was also there but he was seeing Uncut Gems yeah. and it's the same sort of like 
yeah. I have the same thing where people show up and they're like, what are you doing here? And I was like, I work here. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing here? Yeah. It definitely, it definitely started to feel like our neighborhood movie bar, like pretty, pretty That's quickly. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even though like we all live all over, I mean, it's Los Angeles. So like, yeah. Some people live downtown, but not everybody. <laughs> all right, you've got a place to run, so I'm going to let you go. But, <laughs> but is there any, because I've eaten up a half hour of your time, but Emma's this weekend mm-hmm. when this airs, Green Night, oh boy. Uh, what other what other things should the immersive community like keep their eye out for? Oh, if- okay, sure. Um, well, on March 7th, which is a bit more gaming than immersive, uh, so Onward comes out. On it, technically, we it comes out on the fifth, but on March seventh, we're doing um, a D and D afternoon. And I don't know if you're familiar with Onward, the Pixar film. I am. Yeah. Um, and so that I will know be. If they f- are though. So. Oh yeah. Yes. So Onward is the Onward is the new film from Pixar in which uh, two brothers go on a quest. Um, with a you know obviously spoiling it too much, but the they go on a quest. Uh, the older brother is very into a role playing game that is. Very similar to D and D. Just file some serial numbers off, <laughs> or, is, or 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 is this movie under the open gaming license? Uh, let's put it that way. Uh. Um, but uh, yeah, so they, they it's it's just it's it's a wonderful film, and it's you know about kind of familial relationships and etc. And it's very uh, you know epic and adventurous, but it's about role playing games. So we're gonna play some role playing games. We're nice. um, bringing some game masters in to like run specific scenarios inspired by the movie, or just when what are they off to their shelf? Or? They're they're running specific. We're actually bringing in a company called uh, Dungeon in a Box, okay. which is a monthly subscription company that creates. Uh, um, one shots and creates everything for them. So they're coming in. We're bringing in some uh, some very well known DMs um, that are running some, and then we're also uh, doing a couple of other fun things where you can bring your family and like teach your kids how to play D anD D, or you can try out D anD D. We're going to have a D anD D one hundred and one for the first hour, so you can, if you don't know how to play it, you can be taught the basics and learn how to create a character and things of that nature. On Thursdays, we're starting a series called the Vortex Lab which is us trying out new programming. And that programming ranges from live music to interactive shows to comedy to uh, Im- uh, immersive gaming. It's just us trying stuff out. Um, and so Thursday nights are always fun to come by and see what we've got going on. Um, in I don't know how far out you want me to go. I feel like I'm talking a lot now. Should yeah. I just keep it to March? Oh, I mean, you know. St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. Oh, that's going to be fun. Yeah, we've because we're celebrating it in the in the you know good old Celtic way. So there's going to be fairies, and uh, we're going to learn the actual story of Saint Patrick, which is fun as well as you know live music and drinks and all of the yeah. normal things. But there will be mystical creatures abounding. All right, see that's that's what I love is that there's just always something like like you were saying you know, without it being a gig, that it that there's some variety to the whole thing yeah. and and that you're doing that with this venue is fantastic and that and that the the cocktail program's great the beer program's great the food's great the the, the fact that there's a season pass now so mm-hmm. like when you come down and make an evening at the Almo you can really really make an evening out of it here yeah. so and that and that you know who knows what the next thing that gets exported to the rest of the chain winds up being so yeah yeah, very exciting. Ash, thanks for taking the time to talk with me today. Oh, yes. Thank you for having me. All right.
once again, I want to thank Ash Minnick for being our guest on the show today. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> my brain's a little dead. I'm recording this at night because we do have a production meeting uh, tomorrow in the morning. And there's a bunch of stuff that I've got to get done uh, in an orderly fashion. But what I was going to say before I just stared into the darkness outside my window was uh, I really love the draft house. Um, I was waiting a very long time for it to arrive here in L.A. Uh, it was I think like it was it was announced, I think, just like a couple of years after I moved here that it was coming. And then uh, and then it took a while for it to, to because because everything worthwhile in L.A. takes like twice as long to open up as you hope it will um, knock on anything that's nearby you at the moment. Uh, that's just the nature of, of, of Los Angeles. Uh, and we're working on that. Uh, we're, we're working on maybe hoping to change some of that in the long run. Um, cause apparently, uh, these, these are the battles you, you fight as a, a theater major. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just, I'm so happy that the draft house is here now and, uh, that it, it, uh, it's what I always kind of dreamed it would be. And it's here. What more? I actually, you know, it's more than what I dreamed it would be because the fact that they're doing these events that they're doing these pop-ups that they're doing these immersive things. Uh, I got a chance to like, uh, check out the quiche they were making for, uh, the, the tea service they're doing this week and the teas and the teas. Oh man, the teas, where's the card? Um, I think St. Bastian is the name of, uh, the tea company. They're, they're a uh, two person tea company, handmade, hand packaged. They're doing the tea service. They also do the tea service at a uh, labyrinth of Jareth and I got to try all the teas and oh my goodness, good stuff. Um, they've got some Earl Grey's and they were telling me that they make a Scotch Grey, which is an Earl Grey uh, that is inspired by, um, by, uh, Islay Scotch. So, uh, Islay, Islay. Hi. Hmm. Yeah. I don't, I don't speak right anymore. I'm angry with myself. Um, I, because, uh, you know, uh, there's, there's a lot on my mind. Uh, there's, there's all of the stuff with here. I'm, I'm really happy. I'm not to say I'm really happy with the programming. Uh, but you know, and what's kind of funny is if you go into the, well, no, I'm not gonna say that, but like there's folks who are saying like, wow, I don't know how you're doing it. I'm like, neither do I. I just do. I do not know. I have, I have no clue at all how manage managing what and and i will admit like i'm not personal okay i know an Nelson do not fear uh getting the novel coronavirus covid 16 or whatever the 19 or you know you know stalag 16 covid 19 4286 hike hike whatever it's called i i don't fear getting it and dying um i fear maybe getting it uh because i don't like being sick <laughs> and i've also been i've been i think i've been cooking this year's uh bug for like four or five months and everyone now will find out like no i didn't get the flu shot this year why didn't you get the flu shot because every year i've gotten the flu shot in the past five years about two weeks later i've gotten the flu so i don't know what it is I, I'm not, I'm not getting into conspiracy theory here. I just think that my body and the flu vaccine, uh, equals mm, get sick now. Um, and I, I hate it. And every time I've avoided it, um, I've had no problem and that's just obnoxious. So, uh, uh, I didn't get a flu shot this year. Um, 
which is a you know uh, my mom did thank god um because uh, uh, she's she's an old person <laughs> should should get the flu shot old person with a lot of medical issues old person who i take care of uh who i see every day um and um so that's actually what i do worry about is i worry about uh i worry about getting exposed uh and then passing it on uh, to someone whose immune system can't handle it. So that's, that's the thing that I worry about personal on a personal level. Um, and that's sort of the funny thing, you know, like on the math level of it all, um, you know, it's like, well, it's only these people are vulnerable. It's like, yeah, you know what? That's somebody's somebody, you know, um, stats are never stats. Y'all stats are people. That being said, um, the odds, the odds are, you know, the odds are the odds. And, colds happen and flus happen. And, um, I, I don't trust any of the numbers that we're seeing on this thing one way or another. Like, I don't, I just don't, sorry. I do not don't trust the numbers from, uh, the federal government. Uh, you would have in the old days, uh, easily, uh, don't trust the numbers in China. Um, trust the numbers in South Korea and in uh, Italy. Uh, those, those are the countries where I'm like, you know what? I got a feeling those numbers probably are, are, are realistic, um, in terms of percentages and what's going on in Japan. Definitely. Um, in fact, I would rank South Korea and Japan as like, I trust their numbers. And then Italy right after them, I trust their numbers. Um, uh, I do not, I don't trust the numbers coming out of China and I don't trust the numbers coming out of the United States. Sorry if I've offended anyone in China. I just come on, you know, you know, what's up. Um, anytime when the, the, the idea that things should look good. So, with that note, why am I talking about this thing? Because I on Twitter all day long and I'm thinking about it. And I do think about how it affects us as producers of live entertainment. Um, as I mean, I'm thinking about this, like how it affects LBE VR, how it affect, affects theater. Um, you know, what precautions should we be taking? What precautions should I be taking as a producer of a live event? These are things that we, you know, do need to think about. Um, I mean, the, the number one thing is like make it easy for your staff, definitely, and make it easy for your patrons to, you know, wash up, you know, change maybe some of the protocols in terms of physical contact while this stuff is going on. Um, just be very mindful. Um, try and keep good data. Don't panic. Don't get bad data. Um, interrogate it. Look for real doctors saying doctor things. Um, it's one of the things that's frustrating about the fact that there's a political filter on the CDC now. Um, so I'm looking, for instance, at what the state of California is staying, saying, because uh, they ain't going to fuck around. Um, that's something I, I feel like I can trust my state's government. Um, we are a very large state. I can trust whatever's going to, if anything happens in Canada, I can trust what the Canadian government is saying. Um do keep track of the numbers. And indeed, as a producer, as a producer of an event, um, you know, that's going to have a few hundred people at it. Um, you know, like I said, making contingency plans, knowing that, you know, some of the folks are coming internationally, there may be some rule changes in terms of international travel. So know that you're on my mind and that I'm making, um, we're making affordances where we can. It is precarious because, of course, the budget for our event is predicated on the ticket sales. So uh, if there is a major swing one way or another uh, and, um, you know, things don't happen with the contracts, then we have less room to maneuver, um, uh, which is not good for, for anyone. But just know that we share the risk together. And indeed, that's sort of the, the thing about this and moments like this, you know, 
it's a reminder that at all times we share the risk together, even in times when we're not threatened by a global outbreak. We share the risk together. We share the risk on climate change. We share the risk on uh, affronts to democracy. We share the risks on, um, you know, how tied in we are to the markets. We share the risks um, in, in all things at all times, whether we like to imagine that we do or not, we share the risks. And in our field in particular, it is hard for us to deny that because our field is a visceral field. Our field is a field of connection. Uh, even when we're talking about virtual reality, um, what impacts us, what impacts our networks, our social networks in physical space or in cyberspace, um, ultimately affects us all. And one of the things about this work is that it does, at a base level, encourage us to wake up to those network effects, wake up to that connection, wake up to the knowledge uh, truly that no one is an island, um, but that we do live on one big island, island Earth. So there, uh, that's this week's rant. Um, know that I am, <laughs> I am still being extremely online and that, um, we're keeping an eye on everything. Uh, but yeah, do, do, uh, do take some precautions, you know, for everybody. Um, mostly just, just wash your hands. Um, be good about that. Um, and that's probably the number one reason why I, I, I don't get sick on the years. I don't get the the jabby jab because um, I'm, I'm pretty fastidious about washing my hands uh, definitely before I eat. And, um, and anytime I feel like it's been a particularly grubby day, if I go inside a building, you know, I wash up before I start touching things. So there you go. Stay safe out there. Um, let's do the credits for the show. And sorry, if you were trying to avoid it, um, it's just, I apologize, but it's, you know, we've had like one person uh, coming in, uh, from out of country, uh, who's like, Hey, we might have a problem. And as soon as there's one problem, I start trying to figure out how to fix it. So <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. I mean, and by fix it, I mean like literally I started like, how can we fix this coronavirus thing? And I'm like, well, go back 30 years and get yourself on a path of being an epidemiologist. Um, mm, the time travel, um, need again. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So step one, Learn about theoretical physics. Step two, build time machine. Hmm, might not survive long enough to build time machine. So what are we going to do? We're going to produce a show instead. All right. <laughs> I know I have not been drinking. Um, I'm, I'm just stressing out on the planet, man. Um, the music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society, who I hope is having a much more pleasant night than I am. Um, the sustaining backers of No Persinium are Mark Baltazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hanson, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, Samuel Mystery. S oh, no. Not Samuel anymore. That's the old one. Uh, Jeremy Charles Hahn, Sidney Guillory, Jeremy Charles Hahn, and Brittany. And I'm not going to change anything. I'm not going to change anything. Um... That's that. Uh, you can find us at Um, Like I said, stay safe out there. Be good to each other. Um, all the cliches from the ends of uh, 80s uh, television shows. Um, I nearly I nearly did an ALF line, but I couldn't remember what uh, uh, what ALF says. He has a catch line, right? Yeah, I think he does. 
but I can't remember. Catch line, catch phrase, I'm tired. This is why I don't record the show at night. You deserve caffeinated, Noah, not wants to go to sleep, Noah. All right. Until next time, I'll see you at the show. Bye.